Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm the internet's Christopher Schmidt, and on today's show, we welcome Krupa Chanathambi. Krupa is the author of many books and videos about web development. His latest book, Creating Web Animations, was published by O'Reilly Media and covers the basics of web animation to creating UI demos and use cases for your animations and apps. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Make plans for CSS DevConf 2017. Grab your tickets now and learn from Chris Coyer, Wes Boss, Mina Markham, Estelle Weil, Harry Roberts, many, many more, and New Orleans. Tickets are on sale now at CSSDevConf.com. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by yours truly. Sign up at UXDesignNewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your inbox. Set it and forget it with the Non-Breaking Space Show newsletter. Whenever a new show is ready, be notified in your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Of course, you can find show notes and links discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telejet, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for telling others about Non-Breaking Space. And now, on with the show. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about your book in a second, but I just want to talk about how you got involved in the web and in general, like, like what got you involved in working in, in web. I think like a lot of people who I run into, it's really video games. Oh. I was a big fan of like 2D side scrollers growing up, like Commander Keen was my favorite games of all time and Duke Nukem 2D and things like that. So I just wanted to get into building them. And at that time it was probably like mid to late 1990s, there weren't really too many tutorials or videos or things I could learn. Mm -hmm. So I was just experimenting, trying different things, and I stumbled upon Flash. Mm -hmm. And Flash was a great tool because I could both do the visuals as well as write some script to make things move on the screen if I wanted to. And the default publishing medium for Flash was something on the web. So I created a GeoCities account, think it was like Silicon Valley slash grid slash some four-digit number. (laughs) I even paid to get it shortened and all of that. And then I got a real domain name, which is the current one I have right now. And then I just started to share what I've been creating with other people, just teaching them how to create things that might be relevant, might be interesting to me, or just whatever I found that was kind of cool. Awesome. So how did you, when did you start transitioning away from Flash, I guess is the next question. Well, I guess, I guess you know, it's one of the things where I, if I could, I'd still be doing Flash right now. It's more of I was like forced to because very few browsers now support it. And of course, with mobile devices becoming all the rage, especially the iPhone that came out like 2007, 2008, mm. that didn't play Flash. Mm. It was one of those things where I, you know, it's a hobby for me, but it wouldn't be sustainable if I kept creating things that nobody could actually see or use. Right. And so that's when I started to just transition to creating things for the web using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw like a lot of people were like still would still work on the work on Flash. It was still around, but I think uh, you know, like this, just the fact that it's you know, it's still around too. Like we use it for our online uh, events too for for delivering delivering content. So uh, it's still very you know smooth and popular for. I don't think smooth and popular, but it's it's good for delivering video and and orchestrating a lot of events in real time. I think it's still pretty good, but uh, but even if you say that to people, 
they'll just say like, I can't believe you're still using flash. I'm like, well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's been vetted pretty well. I think, you know, for a lot of technologies, but you, know, you can definitely see the writing on the wall when Apple didn't uh, put flash into their devices. So. Uh, correct. I think it's, you know, we always give Apple a hard time for it. But really, though, on Android, Flash had full reign to be able to run as well as it could have. But there were some technical challenges that prevented it from being performant or mm. battery sensitive on Android devices as well. So yeah. there were some there's some merit to Apple's concerns about it technically not having the, the chops needed to run properly on these devices. Yeah, exactly. So, OK, cool. So, um, so you. Uh, when we were talking to you is because like you wrote a book about web animations, uh, just called creating web animations. Well, uh, first, like why uh, write a book about web animations? Like, like, like what motivated you to, to write a book about web animations? I think the biggest thing really is that I always enjoyed writing about it and I always enjoyed talking about it, but I never found too many good examples where it went beyond the basics. You know, one of the challenges with web animations is not just a syntax for creating animations or transitions, it's how do you actually apply them to create actual UIs and things that solve real problems. I didn't see too many books in that category. Mm -hmm. And so basically, uh, O'Reilly had an opportunity that came up and so I was happy to partake in it. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, that's one thing about like, um, I like about books is that you don't get with, you know, online stuff is uh, blog posts is just that you just don't have, you know, the chance to like go in deep and, and deep dive and talk about a lot of things. So that's one of the things that like we do a lot of like online conferences. It was just like, it was just nice to get like six people's input about the same topic right away without leaving your desk. And so that's kind of like one of the things I like about it. But also I feel like the long form of a book is just really great to allow for that deep dive that you don't get like, you know, and I totally understand. Cause like, you know, uh, you know, I know about CSS and about animations and, and I think a lot of people listening will know how it's like, Oh yeah, I know about animations, but like just to go deeper and try to rein in animation that you want to have happen, like this idea that you have in your head and make it put on a piece of paper. That's like a totally different experience than actually knowing the syntax to make it work. So. Correct. And making sure it works performantly, make sure it works well on mobile devices mm. are all little things that tend to influence how we end up creating them. And oftentimes, if you don't think about it ahead of time, you might find yourself having to recreate a lot of stuff, just doing unnecessary work, which no one really likes to do. Right. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things that always trips me up because like, you know, I, I don't work with animations all the time, but, um, but uh, you know, there's actually like there's CSS transitions and then there's like animations. And so when would be, a, like, can you define both? in terms of uh, uh, what they are and what separates them and when would be the best time to use one or the other? Sure. At, at a high level, they're both very similar. They both allow you to animate CSS properties. And the, the biggest difference is that for a lot of interactions, you're going to be having fire and forget where you're going to be reacting to something. I hover over a button or I, I click on an item and a menu flies in. For these kind of things where you just have one state, a beginning and an end, a transition is actually great, especially if you're going to be using JavaScript to make modifications to it. A transition is great in that all it cares about is that a property changes. It doesn't really care when or how a property is modified. Whereas a CSS animation is a little different. You know, it is automatically, it, you specify when it begins, but it's not often as a result of you reacting to it. It just runs by default. It loops forever, which you can't really do with transitions. And it's really great for kind of the cartoons or the more sequence animations where you have multiple states, you know, which they call key frames really to do more than just a state a state b kind of a kind of an event but for the most part though for most uis you'll be creating you'll be using a transition like the animation stuff is 
it's great, but it's for, you know, you have like a logo, you want to have it bounce around or you want to animate a form element or something like that. But 90% of the time, you'll be spending time with transitions. Right. So, so you mentioned JavaScript in terms of, of, of animations. And so one my, my concerns was like, you know, when Apple came out with the uh, animation specs, like, hey, we want to do this animation in CSS. And so it kind of readily became uh, a spec in W3C, uh, more, a, lot of, a lot faster than other things. Um, and I know they're still working on aspect of it, but uh, I mean, do you feel like in order to get, maximize uh, CSS animations, you, you really need to have JavaScript to come in and, and start firing and controlling it? I think so, especially if you follow some of the new work with the Web Animations API, which is a way of reconciling all the animation approaches you have with transitions and animations and JavaScript. There is a certain amount you will need, I think, because just how the web is these days. You know, It used to be that you could get away with just having some HTML and CSS, but nowadays, though, you really can't get very far with that JavaScript, especially when so much of the view, so much of the UI you see is driven by JavaScript itself. So I think knowing the CSS part helps, but I think to drive it home, though, you yeah. gotta have JavaScript knowledge. Right. Yeah, I th- like well, in terms of like JavaScript knowledge, like how, how much would you say that someone would need in order to you know work in today's web? Like, I'd it- say that, that's a, that's a tough one actually. It depends on what we're trying to do, but I think at, a, at, a, at the ground level though, having a solid understanding of DOM, being able to manipulate elements, to find elements, a lot of stuff you used to use jQuery for, which is now available natively in the browser itself. I think being able to do some of that is helpful. And also just being familiar with like request animation frame and some of the timing loops you have in JavaScript, just so you can more performantly make sure that you're not undoing the performance benefits you're gaining by using CSS, but writing really unoptimized, poorly written JavaScript as well. So hmm. not a whole lot, just more on the front end side of things. And there, you know, in the book, I actually have like four or five techniques. I say, if you just know these five and <laughs> stay with them pretty consistently, right. you'll go very far. Right. Yeah, I mean... Um... Like one of the things, like you know, with responsive web being what it is, you know, this kind of like browser, uh, like now multi-device uh, world that we have, you know, I feel like it's kind of embraced this uh, design that's really boxy, kind of embraced the pixel, you know, boxy mentality a lot, you know, in terms of making things quick to render, easy for people uh, with big buttons, uh, flat colors with this huge JPEG or video in the background, you know, which is kind of kind of common. Uh, I see like a lot of people trying to, you know. Kind of break that up with with some animations and so on. So, uh, what are some tips you know to make really good animations, like for you know faster performance or better performance? Like it, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. So for better performance, you know, the big thing is make sure to test on a variety of devices. That's the very first one. Most people just tend to develop on a desktop or a laptop, and then maybe casually test on one of their high-end phones. Like an iPhone is not the, the representative device for majority of the world. So the first step would be just just do, give a casual run of your animation on multiple devices. And once you have that going for you, you want to make sure you build it in a certain way as well. And so in CSS, you have many properties that are animatable, but only a handful of them are actually ones that are animatable performantly. So I'd think transform, opacity, filter, those are three properties you want to use religiously because they tend to be minimized like a lot of the painting and a lot of the, the just the normal operations that go into getting visuals updated on screen. 
And then from there, if you are wanting to squeeze extra performance out of it, you can definitely try to force work onto the GPU. You can actually force things by using Translate 3D or Translate C, some of the techniques that you can use to force 3D rendering. You can use that even for 2D animations, and that gets, tends to get work done on the GPU itself, which is great for mobile devices. But it's a double-edged sword. There is a certain cost in memory and time to copy pixels to the GPU that you know, take into account. So you want to keep those things in mind because so the other approach is, of course, using Canvas and WebGL and other ways of creating animations that don't require CSS. And so that's the other world you have to take into account as well. Some things are just better done not using CSS at all, but actually using Canvas and dealing with individual pixels directly. Like, so where would you go? Like, what would cause you to work with Canvas? Yeah. I'd say for complex visualizations where things don't follow a simple pattern. Like anything, if you, if you look at D3.js, they have a lot of examples of charts and maps and just various kind of grids that are very difficult to represent on a canvas, I mean, on, in the DOM, because there's a memory overhead. Every element you have tends to have all these things backing it. You have a visual tree, you have all these attributes, you have properties, you have this mapping between JavaScript and HTML. All these things take up a certain amount of memory. So when you're dealing with thousands or tens of thousands of elements, those things start adding up. And with the canvas, though, you don't get any of that. All you're just dealing with is a raw pixel. And once a pixel is painted on screen, if you had no extra code backing it, it's just forgotten forever. So you no longer have to have the overhead of maintaining every pixel on the screen. Whereas with the element, the DOM, which is what CSS and JavaScript, at least in the dominant world, deal with, you're pretty much stuck with a lot of memory. Okay, cool. Awesome. That's great. Well, those are good examples. Are good. Uh, what are the properties you want to avoid? Like, I think you mentioned like margin and top. You oh, want, absolutely. Yeah, and why is that? Mostly because they tend to cause a relayout. You know, when you look at the box model, you look at how things are arranged in a web page, every single thing, is, it's like a delicate balance between all these elements being boxed appropriately and things like that. And oftentimes modifying the width, top, left, height, and things like that or even margin, tends to cause every other element to readjust itself to make sure it fits appropriately. Mm. So you want to avoid that because since we do want to get animation running like, let's say, 60 frames a second, which is considered the, the ideal speed at which you want to do things before we detect jitteriness or jank, as you like to call it, mm. having to do relayout, having to do all this unnecessary work just tends to make it very, very you know, clunky in how it looks. But using a transform to adjust the size or the position of something doesn't end up causing a relayout. So you do save on, on significantly on that work. All right. Is there any other properties that we should avoid or, or any other tips we should use? I think the biggest one is layout. The most common ones people tend to tend to animate is a position of something. And so the and the most, the biggest culprit of that is often mon modifying the top or left properties. Mm. So as long as you avoid doing that, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. So I read like, and so you suggested like uh, position absolute as a way, and then applying position animation on position element like attributes like top left or I mean properties. Whatever. Would that be a good way of working around that problem? So. Yes and no. Different browsers have handled it slightly differently. So in general, though, like you know, in WebKit based browsers, setting position absolute and modifying left and top is fine. But the thing is, if you're the element you're moving around has many children inside of it, 
moving left and top and all of those properties tends to require them to be related as well. So if you're just moving a single element, like a single div, for those kind of cases, you can even get away with getting a you know, smoothly animating using top and left and margin with a position of absolute. But if you're modifying a very complex menu or nested menu with many things inside of it, you might run into cases where different browsers tend to do a layout just because it is might be the right thing to do, just to do a double check and a sandy check to make sure it happens. Okay. All right. So what, what if I position absolute within a nested div that's position relative. And then I, I apply CSS uh, animations onto the position absolute element. Would that give me a, would that be bad? Or would you say like, that's too many divs, that's too many nested? You know, I have no idea. I've actually never <laughs> tried it, so I have no clue what the outcome would be. So this is a okay. great case where if you use like the, the performance profilers and the various dev tools that you have, you mm -hmm. can actually see if it is bad or not. You know, the, my initial guess is that it will be okay, <laughs> but that's just, I'm just an optimist by nature, so I could be way off based on the <laughs> profile on it. That's good. I'm glad you're, op you're optimist by nature, because that means that you balance me out. That's pretty good. So, <laughs> so uh, you, took, you mentioned performance tools. Uh, what tools would you recommend? For, uh, for checking out performance and especially animations? Oh, I think the, the Chrome Dev Tools are definitely one of the ones that are pretty up to speed on making sure they provide the ability to not just inspect how an animation looks and how it runs, but also mm -hmm. providing the full waterfall on what we talked about earlier, like making sure there's no function calls, painting, compositing, all of that, the visualization for it is actually really well done there. Okay, cool. And so like, where would I go in Chrome Dev Tools like right now? like? Like, like, is there a performance tab or, or what would I hit? Correct. There is a performance tab where you can, you know, do an initial sampling of what a particular animation, and then mm -hmm. you can go back and inspect it using that same same view. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll go back to your book because there's someone would talk. Like, how did you set up to write your book? Like, what were your goals in writing your book? And we should, we should talk about make sure that people know what the book is called. Creating web animations is published by O'Reilly. So. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, if you want to write a book, you have to actually write a proposal. And so I just want to know, uh, like, how is that process for you? Like, like, see, I want to write a book about animations. Like, how was that? How was that process for people? Yeah. So I wrote a self-published book on animations uh, about three or four years ago, actually. And oh, wow. that was actually about 500 pages. It contained pretty much everything that in the kitchen sink on how <laughs> and what to do with animations, both JavaScript as well was thrown in there. And yeah. so from that, I had a lot of feedback on what people liked and didn't like. And I also blog a lot about animation topics. I record videos about animation topics as well. So I went into my proposal having a lot of data on what people liked, what they didn't like, and some of the big questions they had on things they'd like to see me cover. So I used a lot of that to help influence the proposal because one of the things I Riley did not want was a, a massive 500-page book that <laughs> a lot of things. They wanted something that was very quick and actionable because people don't have time to learn about every single detail, but people do want to use animation to solve immediate problems. So the quicker right. I can go from learning about something or teaching someone about something and then having them be productive and create something cool, that right. would have been a, a metric of success. So I tried to optimize the topics and things for common UI patterns that you often see, because one of the big things we always talk about is the web performance, web animations always seem to lack native performance. You know, native apps have their own UI frameworks that tend to do oftentimes a better job in creating animations. I'd argue sometimes it's not the case. And so I wanted to make sure that when you're when writing animation topics, that I'd pick examples that would be easily replicatable in like common comparisons between native UIs and web UIs. Right. 
Yeah. So like, and also like when you, when I've read books about animations, you know, there's not for everyone, but like, or we go back to the example of like, you know, animation uh, tutorials online and stuff like that, you know, they're usually like, you know, half baked, you know, in terms of, you know, they only tell you like one part of the story or, you know, if we're talking about performance animation, they just tell you, you should do this. And then they don't really show you examples or they show you examples. They're not really like, they're not very exciting. And you don't know as if someone reading it, what, how to put that into your workflow. And so when I was reading your book, I was really surprised uh, and rewarded, I guess, as we were like that you, you do start with the basics up front, but then you actually, you have a nice handful of great uh, examples of using animations in the back and you're explaining like how the best way of using them and, and doing that. So like, I really like that part of the book. So that was really nice. Oh, great. So, I like so yeah. So I was just wondering, like, 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 did you, that's why I asked about the proposals because I was like, because not many people know <laughs> to like uh, have like that kind of arch in their, in their book. Sometimes, you know, like, like I mentioned before, sometimes, sometimes it's just like, here's some performance data that you need, you know, make something animated make better. And then they just leave you alone and like trying to fend for yourself. I mean, a large part of the reason is that, you know, I often find the same camp where I'm reading something and I go, why, you know, why is it done this way? Or what is, what am I missing out by doing this approach as opposed to something else? So I always try to make sure that when I'm writing, I mean, I'm, I am partially writing for myself as well, so I can refer to it, you know, years on the road. And so it is a case where I do want to cover some of these things because I have the question. I'm pretty sure that others might have the same question as well, so I might as well include it as part of my writing because I've been blogging now since 1998, so I've been you know writing about this for a while. So I you know just experimenting with different things and what people like. I'm a, I'm a visual learner, and right. I find that a lot of people who are designers or tend to be more visual learners tend to not want to see a wall of text and they don't come in with the full background on every single detail and why something works or doesn't work. So I feel like it just benefits them and myself indirectly in being able to cover the the others the flip side of why something is done the way it is right yeah exactly yeah that's great yeah that's what and you can just tell in your book that you like how, how how great it is so and how important it is to have those really good visual examples with with the actual content to back it up you know, they so. were all they were all actually created using flash or adobe animate actually so i don't use an animate for animations anymore but i use them for creating all the diagrams because there are very few tools that allow you to actually just draw the kind of diagrams that you want and quickly export them in multiple dpis so 144 300 and so on and illustrator i think is also another great tool for that but i've always used flash so i figured i'll just stick with it. <laughs> there you go so what are your views going forward in terms of the css spec so like should in, you know, you, you talk about you know needing to know JavaScript now, and and especially you know with with trying to like uh, rein in, I guess, or control uh, the JavaScript portion of it. Like, do you feel like where, where you see the CSS spec should go? Like, should it, should it be able to like control more animations with with CSS, or should it just be like more of a JavaScript control thing? So. I think, you know, it's a, it's one of those questions about what is the purpose of CSS overall? You know, I wish CSS had more control logic and the ability to be able to define more than just a, a finite way of doing things. But that kind of goes against what CSS was designed for as well. It's mainly a presentational language. It just defines things as they are or as they might be, depending on a selector you're using. And so, you know, as much as I would want to have a full-blown programming language inside CSS, mm -hmm. I think that might be one of those proposals that just goes against the, the design of it. So I think JavaScript will be the place you, you tend to go. And of course, there are a lot of frameworks out there as well that tend to fill in the gap where you might not know whether something should be done in CSS or something should be done in 
JavaScript directly. And you can see in like React Motion and some of the very popular, you know, UI optimized frameworks that they, they have their own point of view on how animation should be done. And right. indirectly, they might still create CSS or JavaScript, but they abstract away some of those details. Right. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I feel like CSS, you know, is potential layer. And yet somehow we've ended up with uh, animations in CSS. So I just feel like we should go just a little bit more further to get more controls with, you know, just basic CSS, you know, markup and not markup, but like properties and rules. And that way we can get a lot more done without having to expect, uh, you know, designers who just, you know, you know, just want to do designing stuff, you know, just without having to like open up React or anything like that and, and try to put CSS in JavaScript. So. Completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. And you know, the, my guidance would be, you know, if anyone is listening who's you know able to impact this, is look at some of the you the APIs you have. For example, in the Windows Fluent Design Language or the Core Animation APIs on Apple or the various APIs you have in and Google's Android. Some of these devices have really advanced APIs for doing very complicated blending, very complicated sequence animations. You have mm -hmm. multiple ways of just doing performant UI, which you don't really think about in those languages, you know, native languages. But mm -hmm. you have to think several times before you try to do something like on the web because of performance implications and it's the, the difficulty in actually building them. So, yes, right. I agree. From that point of view, there's a lot that we can implement in the language that we can borrow from what native languages have already done. Right, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's a little bit more polished. And I haven't, I've only just recently started like reading up like what the next version of the spec could be. So, I was just trying to, like, but I just feel like if we're this far in, we might as well just go far. Because, like, you know, even CSS, like, is getting like you know native variables now and and doing all sorts of yep. things that wasn't really like designed to do, but uh, it just makes things a lot easier. And so, um, yeah, and I'm not a big fan of CSS and JS, so I'm not really just because most people who I've who I've seen promote CSS and JS just are, don't really understand CSS. So I don't know. So so that's just my that's my bag. I don't know. That's my point of view. So, but I think I think the other big thing is also that we really haven't seen the potential of what we can fully create with animation transitions in CSS. A large reason mm -hmm. is that there simply right. aren't any tools out there anymore. And it used to be a rich ecosystem of tools that you know people who are not programmers could contribute right. to and apply their talents to create really cool things. But mm -hmm. for the most part these days, everything requires you to literally write code. And if right. you're building something even remotely complex, you're probably spending hours getting your webpack and your Babel and your build environment set up, which are things that you, you know, is a necessary thing as part of proper development. But if you're someone who is not breathing that day in and day out, it's just right. one more hurdle for you to jump. And I right. think that's one of the biggest challenges as well is like, can there be more done with what we have today if the right people, the right talents, aren't so scared or driven away by the complexity of it all? Right. Yeah. And, and that's I think what that's, I think so. You know, just think about as well. Right. And that, that's like kind of things where like I think CSS is just, allows you to uh, easily start making design uh, changes. And then, but it takes a lifetime to master, but whatever. But, uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you want someone to, you know, like, you know, when you started out, like, hey, I want to move something, I want to do some CSS stuff, some animations, what's the easiest way of doing that? You can do that with CSS now, but if you want to do something just a little bit more complex, uh, you'll have to actually go to the JavaScript world and, and try to do that. And you just can't, you know, um, I just feel like that's kind of, CSS animations just needs a little bit more of a kick in the pants in terms of, you know, you know, more more CSS animation rules and properties just to make it, make it a little bit better. So, I don't know. So that's just something I'm thinking about. I don't know. But no, I completely agree. 
Yeah. But yeah, so so this is your was this your second book? So you wrote the first one on no, animation, about five five hundred book. And then let's this one. see. This would this would be I'm actually counting because let's see. Mm. I had my first book in nineteen ninety seven. That was okay. on front page, actually. So that's sweet. The, you know, I, yeah, I, so that, that's the when, good old when, days. When's the sequel coming out for that one? Well, you know, I never wrote a sequel on that one because <laughs> you know jumped a flash straight after that. Okay. But this would be my, I think it's my sixth book actually. Oh, cool. So what other books have you written? So I wrote three. Uh, I wrote one on animation, which is self-published. One right. on JavaScript and one on Canvas animation. Okay. And then those were oh, those three were self-published. And then I wrote the book on React and learning React, which I wrote oh, for uh, which I wrote for Pearson. And then mm-hmm. I wrote a book on how to use CSS animations and transitions for O'Reilly. And then I wrote right. a book on JavaScript for beginners, okay. also for Pearson. So the, yeah, sixth book. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. And so, um, uh, where's the Canvas animation book? Where, who is that? Where can people find find that? It's Amazon. I self published it. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Cool. And then, um, that's amazing. That's awesome. Well, I, my hat's off to you. I know how hard it is to write a book. So, um, so when, especially if you want to self-publish it. So. Yeah. A lot of, you know, one of the things, you know, my first book is self-published. It's a lot of work because it, I had no idea what completely went into the whole process for laying out a book. You know, I learned about DPIs and images and print DPIs for the first time. But right. so now what I did, the general pub, the idea I use for self-publishing books is that, Anything I blog about, I try to make sure it fits a sequence of content. And then after, you know, a few months or so, if I have enough of that content there, I take that exact material, make sure this narrative flows, and I self-publish it, basically. So I try to make sure that there's a free version available for anyone who can't afford the book or isn't, you know, able to access it. And then as a convenience, the print book is also available because some people, you know, even myself, I just like reading a physical book or using a Kindle to look on on my iPad or a Kindle device. And so I provide, try to do that. And the thing is, time is always a, a challenge as well. Because I do a full-time job. I work at Microsoft on right. the web platform team where I literally get to influence web standards and how the various you know things we talked about right now could mm-hmm. find their way into a spec and then ultimately into all the various browsers. So, you know, my my free time and everything I do is like kind of spent dealing with this, which is great because, you know, I pretty much made a career out of my, my hobby. Yeah, so you talk about blogging. And like, so do you... Um... How important is blogging? Do you think this someone should do? Yeah, because because you started in 1998, right? So, so like, how how important do you think blogging is? For, for I mean, I think for me, I think for me, it's important because it's my way of retaining knowledge. You know, one of the things people ask me is like, how do you remember all these details? It's like, well, it's not. I just tend to write about it. And people always said, if you teach someone something, you tend to learn it and remember it far more. So for me, it's partly that, and I just like to learn cool things and to make sure I keep remembering it. I just write about it and blog about it as well. But right. it just depends on your person personality as well. I tend to enjoy going to conferences, talking to people, and sharing what I've learned. And some people do not. So I'd say, you know, there are a lot of people who are successful that never blogged at all, and a lot of people who blog a lot who you know, may not be successful either. So it's like, it's, you know, it's just one of those, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's a feather in your cap, but I wouldn't say it's the only feather you should, you should bet on. I know. I think you're kind of hemorrhaging your bets right there. I think you've, when you say some people have successful blogging and then there's people who are successful without blogging. I don't know, man. Yeah. If you want to make blogging, if you want to make, <laughs> blogging, joking, if you want to make blogging your full-time career though, I think that's, uh-huh. that's a lot of work. It's a, you know, you must blog on a regular basis. Yeah. No, I'm not saying like, like blogging full-time for your career, but I just feel like, um, I think blogging 
no matter if you use social media, which I like, this is, this is my, I'm kind of like using me as an example. Like I should be blogging more is basically what I'm trying to say as uh, but I feel also if anyone's lifting listings, like they should also um, blog, just let people know, like, even if you're on social media, like Twitter or Facebook or whatnot, just uh, making sure that people have a, a landing page, like your own personal landing page. So they can actually come and see you, uh, not see, but like see what your words are in long form. Um, and even in video, like you know, embed your videos if you do YouTube into your blog and stuff like that too. So, um, so just so that 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 when you do have a narrative, like you say, like you do, which I think is the smartest thing you do, like hey, I have this problem, but it's going to take me like six blog posts to get to the get it all out. Just having that narrative in there and being people to follow it is amazing. Like you know, and I started a blog and I gave up, you know, like so many starts and spurts in this year. And I've gotten people emailing me because it's a, it's like some YouTube thing, and of course Google doesn't update their how tos as fast as they update YouTube, right? So people are like coming to my page via Google, which is you know, uh, which is owned by Alphabet, and then saying, "Hey, your YouTube page, which is owned by Alphabet, you now which is like YouTube is owned by Alphabet, saying like is out to date." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't keep up to date with how, how with how bad the Google's documentation is." So. Um, but yeah, but 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 the thing is, like, it floors me though is that, you know, I wrote this blog post because it, it I had this problem. I knew I would forget how to solve the problem if I didn't write it down just then there, and publish it. And then they somehow other people have found it, and, um, and that's better than a tweet about how to oh, solve agreed. a problem. Yeah, agreed. And I think yeah. especially you know one thing to touch upon is that and I think indirectly is that you know all of us are a certain brand if you want to think mm-hmm. of it that way. And having a blog that is tied to your own brand is probably pretty it's useful. You know, I see a lot of people using other blogging platforms and things where your your content is there, but everything else is not yours, and that could go away at one point. Or you know, as in your case, you know your YouTube channel is basically owned by another company, for example. And so having your own blog, having your own style, and having your own voice is it's pretty important, and that's one of the things that if you are going to blog even semi-seriously, I, I highly recommend that you create your own version of things. So that way, you're not you're not inside the of walled garden in many ways. You know, this is you know kind of things like I'm trying to figure out like what going forward is like you know I'm not big uh, for blogging in general. Like you, know, you it's, I'm trying to fight the power, <laughs> then after they fight the fire, but just create a blog, but then also trying to be more modern about it in terms of programming and actually. Maybe actually having separate servers, or, um, you know, on like DigitalOcean or whatever. That, like, if I if I write something that's tweet length worthy, take the tweet, take the text, and then and then read my RSS feed or JSON feed now, and um, then pick that, you know, and then they put push that to Twitter rather than going to Twitter right away and having that there or there or having a photo post it my blog first and then having. Uh, and you know, a server can out there, read it, and pull it out, and and send it out to uh, like Flickr or, or Instagram or something like that too. So I think that's so. But you know, we have this conversation all the time. Just just own your content and 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 being being a site that that's that people can come to and follow and uh, is is way more. I think it's way it's more important now these days as a, someone who has become a professional developer. That too. So that's. Oh, absolutely. I completely yeah. agree. You know, and as I said, like social cards, you can make your content easy to share on Twitter, on Pinterest, on who knows mm-hmm. what networks are out there that you can share content to. But yeah. the, the challenge again, of course, is creating content. There's so many things competing for our time that sitting down, writing some meaningful content is often just takes, you know, takes second place sometimes. Yeah. 
It does. Yeah. It's cool. Well, thank you so much for, for being with me on the show. How can people find you on the internet, read your books, everything? Just search for Krupa, K-I-R-U-P-A. Luckily, I got the domain name long ago before <laughs> other people named Krupa got it. So oh, I was nice. able to get on the ground floor on that on Facebook, Twitter, and all the various social media accounts. Cool. Awesome. That's great, man. Awesome. Cool. Well, right. thanks, thanks so much. Nice.